All right, it's been good to be in God's house today. I pray that it will only get better as we peer into His timeless truth. If you have your Bible here this morning, I invite you to join in John chapter 10. It's where we'll be feeding from today. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. The Scripture will be on the screen for you. But we're going to be preaching today on the subject of the Good Shepherd. A while back, I came across a Fox News headline that caught my eye, and here it was. 450 Turkish sheep leap to their death. <laughs> Here's what the report said. First, one sheep jumped to its death, and then another and another. Shepherds near the Turkish village of Jevaz were stunned. The men had stepped away from their flocks to eat breakfast. And from a distance, all they could do was watch as nearly 1,500 sheep mindlessly walked off a 40-foot cliff. In the end, 450 dead animals lay on top of one another in a billowy white pile. Fortunately, those sheep who jumped later were saved as the pile got higher and the fall more cushioned. <laughs> the cause, as best as they could tell, one of the alpha sheep decided to jump a ravine, and the rest of the flock blindly followed. The estimated loss was over $100,000, which was a significant calamity for these sheep herders. Now, when the Bible metaphorically refers to us as sheep, that is not exactly a compliment. <laughs> like sheep, people are prone to mob instinct. Like sheep, we are weak and wayward. We are stubborn and, at times, stupid. We have the tendency to get lost going our own way, which all, of course, points to our sinful condition. I think about the words of the hymn that we often sing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That describes your heart and my heart, were it not for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and the gentle watch of Jesus Christ. But in that most famous psalm of all, in Psalm 23, David said, The Lord is my shepherd. Now the New Testament fulfillment of that psalm is found here in John 10. And it is here where Jesus speaks one of his famous seven I am statements that we find here in the Gospel of John. In fact, if you go down to verse 14 in John chapter 10, you read it there, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Now each of Jesus' I am statements are packed with meaning and they highlight something unique about his divine character. Here are those I am statements there on the screen. You see them. So for instance, when Jesus claims to be the bread of life in John 6 and verse 35, that deals with man's desires, that Jesus fulfills the deepest longings and desires of the human soul. When Jesus claims in John 8 and verse 12 to be the light of the world, well, He is the one who dispels man's darkness. He brings the light of truth and revelation into our world. When He claims to be in chapter 11 in verse 25, the resurrection and the life, Jesus is the one who brings hope to man's death. That life doesn't end when we close our eyes here 
on this world, but we have eternal life and abundant life. And then when we read about the good shepherd claim here in John chapter 10, well, that deals with man's direction, that Jesus is our God. He provides for man's lostness. Now, as the good shepherd, what Jesus was saying to us from this passage is, I'm your protector. I'm your provider. I'm your guide. I am your salvation. In every way that the sheep look to the shepherd, we look to Christ for everything. We're going to spend some time this morning here in John chapter 10. And in this amazing passage, you're going to learn a lot about the life of the ancient shepherd. But you're also going to see some parallels into your daily life as we learn four ministries that Christ has in your life and my life as the Good Shepherd. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Number one, we see here today that the Good Shepherd gathers the flock. The Good Shepherd gathers the flock. Verse 1, the Bible says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. Verse 5, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So number one, the good shepherd gathers the flock. You need to understand that in Jesus' day, the way that sheep were kept was in a pen or an enclosure that was made out of stone walls. Here's an illustration of what one of those pens might have looked like. You'll notice here that the enclosure had a single opening so that the sheep could be herded in and out. In fact, it was customary in Jesus' day that several flocks from several different shepherds would be kept together in one communal pen. And in the morning, when it was time to start the day, the shepherds who were sleeping that night came in and they would give their special, unique call. And the sheep that were in their flock would recognize the master's voice. They would respond and they would follow him out to the pasture for that day. And that's what Jesus is pointing to in here when he says that I know my sheep and my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Now, it's interesting as we've studied John's gospel and as we have looked at the ministry of Christ, one of the interesting things that he does is he is calling his disciples out by name, even though they had never met. Jesus called Simon Peter out of the fishing boat. He called him Simon, and then later on he changed his name to Cephas or Peter. That was in John 1 and verse 42. He called Matthew from his tax collecting booth in Matthew 9 9. He baffled Nathaniel when he called him by name under the shade tree. And that's also in John chapter 1 and verse 42. He came by where Zacchaeus was and he called Zacchaeus by name in Luke chapter 19. And he told him to get down from that sycamore tree for he was coming to his house that day. He called Lazarus out of the grave in John chapter 11. We'll see. He called Lazarus by name out of that 
realm of death. And then when he meets Mary later on in the garden after his resurrection, he calls her by name and she recognizes who it is, the risen Christ. I ran ran into a fascinating story this week about a, a shepherd in Australia who was accused of stealing sheep from a farmer. The two men got into a heated argument and eventually they took the case to a small claims court where it had to be settled by a judge. (laughs) At first, the judge was so perplexed he didn't know what to do with this unusual case. And then the judge got an idea. I don't know if he was a believer or if he read his Bible. But he summoned one of the sheep to be brought into the courtroom. (laughs) You can't make this stuff up, right? The judge said to the plaintiff, the one who had made the accusation, go outside the courtroom and call to this animal. The plaintiff went outside, he gave his call, and the sheep did nothing but kind of raise his head and look confused. Then the judge said to the defendant, the one who had been accused, the real shepherd, he said, now go outside and you call the sheep. And he called in his particular voice and gave his unique whistle. And the sheep picked up, noticed the call of the master, and ran toward his voice. And the judge said, the sheep knows his master's voice, case dismissed. (laughs) Now, what a precious truth of salvation. As we get into this passage this morning, there was a day I pray in your life when Christ came by, when the good shepherd called you out by name and appointed you to be a part of his flock. You were lost. You were floundering. You were out in darkness, out in despair. There was no hope. There was no defense. There was no way you could find your way. But then the shepherd came and he called you by name and your life has never been the same since. Where were you, friend? He called you tenderly, and He called you clearly. I remember where I was, seven years old, just down the road at Pole Creek Baptist Church. It was vacation Bible school, and I remember the preacher giving an invitation, and I couldn't sit still any longer. I'd heard enough of the gospel to know that I was a great sinner and that Jesus was a great Savior, and I came down and I came forward, and I made my profession. Why? Because Jesus Christ called my name on that day. So many years ago, friend, where were you? Were you in a church service? Were you in a revival tent walking the sawdust trail? Were you at your home? Were you in the pit of despair? Was your life dark and dim and no answers? Where were you? When your name was called and you knew it was God speaking to you. It's providential, really, that I'm preaching this passage to you today because we witnessed last week God called my son Daniel He called him by name while he was sitting over there in his pew. You see, Caitlin and I, we had been drilling him in the gospel for a while. We'd been teaching him the precious truths of salvation and sin and the cross and resurrection and all that that means. And you could talk to Daniel about the simplicity of the gospel and you say, are you ready? Are you ready to receive Jesus? He said, no. Well, why not? I don't know, Daddy. I'm just not ready well friend last week was the day and i, I we we know we because he it was not coerced it, it wasn't forced it wasn't manufactured as he sat over there he he heard the clear and the clarion call of the holy spirit to his heart and i asked daniel later on in the week i said daniel what was it that last sunday that was different from all the other times that we talked to you about christ 
And he said, well, Daddy, he said, God told me it was time. God told me. In other words, he called him by name. Amen? It's time. Hey, have you responded to Christ's call to follow him? He's been calling some of you for a long time, but you have yet to heed his voice. Friend, don't harden your heart if you feel the pull, if you know the tug is true, if you've heard his cry into your heart, don't turn him off. Don't hit the mute button. Don't put cotton balls in your ear. He's been calling and calling and calling some of you, and your days are running out to respond to that. You know, the Bible divides humanity just into two camps, and it's not Republican or Democrat. It's not uh, uh, rich or poor. The Bible divides humanity according to Matthew 25, into two camps, saved and unsaved, or as Jesus said, the sheep and the goats. And one day the Bible says that God's going to separate all of humanity out at the end of time. Jesus is going to be the judge and he's going to arbitrate between the goats, the lost, and the saved, those who truly know him. You see, goats hear the call of Christ, but they don't heed his call. The sheep, they hear his call and they follow and they obey. Which one are you today? You see, the sheep, the saved, they declare dependence on Christ. They say the Lord is my shepherd, not the preacher's shepherd, or not my mama's shepherd, or, or not my, my grandpappy's shepherd. He's my shepherd. I know him. I've got a relationship with him. I remember the day he called me. I talk to him. I pray uh, with him. He speaks to me through his word. The Lord is my shepherd. You see, the sheep declare dependence upon him. But a goat, the lost, they refuse to have a shepherd. They'll go about their own way. They do their own thing. The Bible says there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. You see, the first thing the good shepherd does is he gathers the flock. The second thing I want you to see here this morning is the good shepherd guides the flock. He guides the flock. Look at what it says very clearly, verses 3 and 4. We'll revisit these passages. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. Now, there's a key phrase that I want you to zero in on here in verse 3. Notice that little phrase, and he leads them out. You see that there? David would say something similar when he wrote in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Verse 2, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And what church? He leads me beside the still waters. This is significant. Because sheep cannot be driven. They have to be led. You know why? Because sheep have absolutely no sense of direction. Sheep don't know where the danger lies ahead. They don't know how to get back to the fold after they've been in the pasture. And we all know that sheep are stubborn. And when you combine stubbornness with no sense of direction, they get lost. They end up in a briar patch. They end up trapped by predators or worse of all. They end up going over the edge of a cliff like we read about in the introduction. In fact, most of the trouble we get into in this life is self-inflicted because we buck the shepherd and we say I'll follow my own way Lord I'll make my own decisions Lord I won't believe your word Lord I'll go out and try this on my own I'll be the exception 
Listen to what Isaiah 53 and verse 6 says about our hearts. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. Adrian Rogers said this years ago. He says, it's the shepherd's job to feed and lead. And it's the sheep's job to swallow and follow. <laughs> In other words, where he leads them, they feed. And they follow him wherever he takes them. Whether that's through a mountain ravine or whether that's to a green pasture or whether that's beside a still water, whatever season, whatever situation in life, the Bible says He leads us. You know, the Lord has been trying to lead some of you. God's been speaking to some of you about certain things in your life, but you're resisting. You don't want to be led. You think, perhaps, I know better than God does. The Lord's been trying to lead some of you, and you need to ask yourself today this question, am I guided... By God's Word and God's Spirit? Or am I more guided by my own decision making? My own emotions? Or by whatever the culture tells me is right and true? Does the Bible guide your decision making process? That's the voice of God in your life. If you want to hear God speak, open your Bible and read it out loud. That's the voice of God. That's the voice of the shepherd. Does the Bible guide your decision making process? Your plans? How you use your money, your view on morality, your view on politics, how you ought to raise children. You see, Christ is trying to lead some of you. He's trying to lead you out of a bad relationship. He's trying to lead you out of an addiction or a besetting sin. He's trying to lead you out of a bad job and do a green pasture. He's trying to lead you out of a barren wasteland. But some have not been fully trusted. You see, the Lord is leading some of you to a new pasture, a new calling, a new level of commitment. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, that's my life verse. And it so applies here. Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Where has the Lord been trying to guide you? And you've been resisting His leadership today. I can't answer that for you. Only you can. Philip Keller he wrote one of the most insightful books years ago called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Before Philip Keller gave his life to Christ, he was actually a shepherd in Scotland. And in his book, he wrote about a particular episode that really illustrates God's guiding hand in our lives in view of our own stubbornness. Listen to what he wrote. He said, there are always people in the church who think they can make it without Christ's guidance. They insist on running their own lives. He said, they remind me of a bunch of sheep in my flock that I was leading to drink from a magnificent mountain stream. The snow-fed waters were pure, crystal, and clean. I took pleasure in watching my sheep quench their thirst on a hot day at this stream. But on the way to the creek, he said, several stubborn ewes and their lambs stopped instead to drink from a small, dirty, muddy pool beside the trail he continued he said the water was filthy and polluted not only with the churned up mud from the passing sheep but also with their waste and no doubt nematodes and parasites of all kinds he said it's always amazed me that those foolish sheep would rather make themselves sick drinking from those nasty pools than the streams I had led them to but don't we do the same don't we resist our Lord's leading and sip carelessly from the world's mud puddles only to made, be made sick by our own dumb decisions? 
Am I preaching to anybody here today? Hey, if your toes are sore, it's because maybe the preacher stepped on your toes here today a little bit. But you know what? I've been here before too. I thought I was smarter than God. I thought I knew better than the good shepherd. And I would go my own way and do my own thing. And only after I got out and lost my way and realized I was over my head, I bleated and called And I'm thankful that there was a shepherd who heard me and brought me back by his grace, by his mercy. Friend, I don't know where you are today. If you've wandered away, if your heart's cold, if you're not as close to the flock and the shepherd as you used to be, I'm thankful today there's a God who will come and get you. He'll guide you back in. He'll take his rod and his staff and he'll pull you back. He'll rescue you from your own stupid decisions and your own waywardness. That's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that we have today. He'll leave the 99 and go after that one. And praise God, He's had to come after this one more than once. Don't miss this precious promise here in verse 4. I want you to see this here today. Look at this. When He brought out all His own, watch this. He goes (laughs) before them. Oh, my friend, when I saw that in my study this week, I just had to stand up in the quiet of my study and give God a little bit of praise. That little phrase blessed me so much. He goes before them. Think about Him as the good shepherd. The Lord doesn't lead you, friend, out into the wilderness to abandon you. He doesn't lead you to sickness or to a new season or to a transition in your life. He doesn't lead you into a difficult spot of suffering and adversity just to abandon you and see you die. But Christ, the Bible says, He goes ahead of the flock. He prepares the blessings providentially. He works out the details in your favor. When you can't see ahead, when you can't go down that road yet because you're trapped by the thing called the present, when your vision is obscured by problems and by high mountains all around you, I'm thankful that there's a shepherd who guides He knows what's down the road. He's been where you're going to. And He's already worked on behalf of you in the future, in your tomorrow. He's gone ahead and He'll set a table in the wilderness. Somebody in the house of God who's been there before and knows that He's gone ahead of you and blessed you in your tomorrow. Help me to preach this message today. Oh, He clears the path. He's preparing our steps. Jehovah Jireh is there and the next day already making bread and manna. He's already running the errands that we can't because He can go ahead. So if you're in that time right now where it don't make sense, Lord, where have you led me? God, why have you brought me this way? I can't see very far ahead. My vision is obscured. Just trust the guidance of the Good Shepherd. And trust that He knows where He's taking you. You don't have to know everything. You just have to know that He's with you. And He's good. And He's God. And He's full of grace. And He'll take you exactly where He wants you to go. Oh friend, He went ahead of Abraham and Isaac there on Mount Moriah. He went ahead of them and He provided the lamb that was, or the ram that was caught in the thicket. 
that would be the atoning and the substitute sacrifice. In John chapter 4, he went ahead of the nobleman. And Jesus healed that nobleman's son so that the next day, as he walked back home, he found out that the good physician had already been there and made the home visit and healed his son. And on Easter morning, friend, the ladies, they were asking themselves, who's going to move away the stone? But I want you to know that God had already gone ahead of them. And when they got to the tomb, the Bible says the stone was rolled away. There's an angel sitting on top and said, why are you seeking the, 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 the living among the dead? You see, he'd already gone ahead and done the heavy lifting for them. I'm telling you, he'll go ahead. He's been where you're going. And when God guides, God provides. Friend, I'm thankful that when I get to the deepest valley, and when it's my time to cross over, I know the shepherd who's already been there. He's already faced death. He's already been raised in glory and in victory. And I don't have to fear. I don't have to wonder. I don't have to grieve because I know He's been there and He has raised the life and He'll lead me across and to the other side. Amen. Amen. So we see here that the Good Shepherd gathers the flock and He guides the flock. But I also want you to see here this morning that number three, the Good Shepherd guards the flock. He guards the flock. Look at what it says here in verse 7. This is so good. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. He said, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, catch this, friends. Not only is Jesus the good shepherd, but he's also the door here. In fact, these two statements are closely related because in the Bible, the shepherd and the door were one and the same. Remember that sheep enclosure that we looked at earlier? Where the sheep are pinned up for a night? Look who's sitting there at the front of the gate. There was no gate or door covering the opening. But here's what would happen each night. As the sheep bedded down inside the pen, the shepherd who was on duty for that night would lay down across the opening of that pen and his own body would become the door to protect the sheep. And so the shepherd blocked intruders and predators from getting in and from sheep getting out. You see, the shepherd guards the flock. What this means for us today, friend, as we study this passage is there's only one way into God's sheepfold, and that's through the doorway of Jesus Christ. That's a statement of exclusivity on par with what Jesus would later say in John 14 and verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Later on, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, Peter would have the same similar message. He said there's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given among men whereby, what is it, church? We must be saved. Amen. By the way, do you know what other structures in the Bible only had one door? You know, the sheepfold only had one way of entrance. Did you know that Noah's ark, according to Genesis 6, 16, only had one door? And the tabernacle in Exodus 26 only had one door? 
Think about the picture here. In the day of Noah, as the flood is about to bear down on the earth and wash away and judge the unrighteous, there was only one way to enter that ark of safety. Just as there's only one door to escape the flood of judgment that is to come on this world, an event called the tribulation. There's only one way to escape it, and it's through Jesus Christ. And likewise, in the tabernacle period, there was only one entrance into the Holy of Holies where the priest could go and he could offer the blood of the sacrifice and the people could be forgiven. And you see what we have here in all these Old Testament pictures here is a foreshadowing of a New Testament truth that's fulfilled in the door, in the Good Shepherd, in Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of the last basketball game I went to down at the Dean Doma, Carolina basketball. Went in there and it's huge. It's just an enormous stadium if you've never been there before. If you're a Duke fan, I'm just going to pray for you, but if you've never been there before, it's like a basketball mecca. I mean, you walk in and it's, it's like a little slice of heaven. It's just awesome. Well, last time I went to the Dean Dome, you got thousands of people trying to pour into this arena. But they all bottleneck at the entrance. And you know those turnstiles that they have? Where you got to ratchet through and go through the turnstile one by one. And you got to present your ticket. Last time I went there, there was a sign that was above the door. And you know what it said? It said, no baggage allowed. And I thought about that. Oh, oh my gosh, what a picture of salvation. There's only one way in. Everybody must go individually through that door, through that gate of Jesus Christ. And you have to leave your baggage before you come through. It's a narrow way you have to enter in, but you have to leave behind your baggage of good works and religious tradition and your sin and your pride. It won't make it in. You've got to leave it behind and enter through the one way that God has prescribed. You see, this kind of message, the culture doesn't want to hear this kind of message. They want to be their own God. They want to be able to decide their own gender. They want to be able to create their own religion, make their own form of government, create their own vision of utopia. How's that going to work out for them, you think? You see, but my, but my Bible tells me that there is a way. It's exclusive. There's one way. It's pretty narrow. But praise God, it is a way. Jesus is not a way. He's not even the best way among multiple choices. No, the Bible says He's the only way. He's the only shepherd, the only door. That door may be exclusive and narrow, but notice the invitation in verse 9. Oh, it's inclusive. If, watch this, anyone, (laughs) if anyone enters by me, talk about an open policy, an open invitation to anybody to enter into Jesus Christ. You say, what about me, preacher? I've done some pretty bad things. Well, anyone means anyone, amen? Amen. But everybody that gets in comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how wretched your past is. Doesn't matter how lost you are. How caught in sin uh, your situation is. How broken you are. How messed up your home life is. You come to Christ. He's the way. There may be only one door, but by faith anybody can come in. 
Jesus is the only way to God. But listen to this. There are as many ways to Jesus as there are people who come to him. That's why testimonies are so amazing. Because you hear the various series of events that lead people to the same conclusion. That Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be. He's Lord and he's God. Some come to him young. Some come to him old and some in middle age. Some come to him after a lot of suffering. And some come to him after much sin. Some come to him when they aren't even looking. And some come to Christ after searching diligently for the truth. And while many skeptics may bemoan the fact. I I hear the the voices of the skeptics. I know what they say. Oh, you Christians, you're so close-minded. Oh, you Christians, you're so bigoted. You, You really believe that. That God can just fit into one religion. You see the bumper stickers when you're riding around town, don't you? Right? Coexist. Tolerance. All paths lead to the same mountaintop. That's the thinking of the world. But friend, you and I know very different. The skeptics may bemoan the suggestion that Jesus is the only way. But I'm thankful that there is a way. Because we need to be reminded that God doesn't owe you anything. He didn't have to come. He didn't have to die. He didn't have to give His life on the cross for you. And if we got what we deserved, He'd open up the ground and swallow us and send us into a devil's hell. But I'm thankful. Oh, there is a way. There is a shepherd. There is a door. And we can enter in through Him. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. And I know many of you think the same way. While others will congratulate themselves, I have to sit humbly at the foot of the cross and marvel that I'm even saved at all. Ain't that right? We got people out in the world wanting to make their own way and saying there's many ways. and Oh, you just believe sincerely and, and you'll get there. And No. I'm being no more narrow than what Jesus was. And while others may think themselves good and they congratulate themselves, oh, you're a good person. I have to sit at the foot of the cross and marvel that God would even speak to me. So what does the good shepherd do? He gathers the flock. He guides the flock. He guards the flock. And then look at this as I finish today. The good shepherd gives to the flock. There's at least three important things that Christ gives his people here in At the end of incredible value. Notice verse 10. He gives us his satisfaction. Verse 10. The thief comes only to steal. And to kill and destroy. And I came that they may have life. And have it abundantly. He gives us satisfaction. Christ offers superior life. Both in quantity. That's eternal life. And quality. That's abundant life. The abundant life that Jesus speaks of, listen to this, He doesn't mean health and wealth. He doesn't mean the American dream. He doesn't mean the version of Christianity that you hear from so many pulpits today where it's name it and claim it. Right? But what is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about the precious kind of satisfaction that comes from knowing Him. The things that money can't buy. Freedom from sin. A transformed heart, hope, joy, peace, contentment, and the assurance one day of heaven. Amen? 
G.K. Chesterton, the English author, he wrote it this way. He said, quote, Jesus promised his disciples three things. That they would be completely fearless, in constant trouble, and they would be absurdly happy. <laughs> Isn't that a great thought? Amen. There's an old book in my library. It's called He Leadeth Me. It's written by an author named C.W. Slimming. In this book, he talks about the life of the shepherd. And in there he writes about how one of the things that the ancient shepherds would do is as they would be leading their flock, let's say they would go by a tree that would have tender fruit on it. He said what a shepherd would do is they would often take their crook and lift it up into the limbs and bring down some of that fruit. And they'd pick that fruit and then they would never throw the fruit to the ground but they would bring those tasty morsels down to the sheep's level. And here's what he said. He said, you will never see a shepherd throw to the ground the fruit he gathers. He holds them in his hand behind him, and the sheep nibble them as he ambles on ahead. Only the sheep which walk closest to the shepherd know these kinds of blessings. That is why, he said, it really does pay to walk near Jesus, and be feeding daily on His Word. Those who walk near Him receive all the joys of deep fellowship and they find that indeed He can prepare a table in the wilderness. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because before you were saved, you looked at the church through squinty eyes of suspicion and you thought those people are weird. They go listen to preaching. They sing to apparently nobody. They give their money and they're a bunch of hypocrites. And they're all uppity and stuffy and they don't know what true fun and true joy is all about. Let me tell you something. Every time that I've served Jesus and been a part of His fold, I've never had to wake up with a hangover. I've never had to explain an unplanned pregnancy. I've never had to wipe tears from my face because of sin and heartache that's been brought into my life. Some of you need to hear this today because, hey, you've been there, you've done that, you've got the t-shirt, you did the partying, you did the running around, you know what the world has to offer, and friend, it ain't nothing like what the pleasure and the satisfaction that comes from knowing the joy of walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. Every day you get to wake up and open the book and feed on that precious fruit that He hangs down from low limbs and says, here, feed your soul, try this, and be filled. Every day I know His pleasure. I know His Spirit. I know the joy that comes through preaching. And I know the joy that comes when your own kin, when your own blood says, I want to follow Jesus just like Daddy does. Friend, that's satisfaction. That's joy that the world can't replicate and that you can't go buy at a store or you can't inject it into your body. You see, they think that they know what true joy, true fun, true fulfillment is all about. But oh, friend, the longer I walk with Him, the greater it is to serve Him. Because He don't need me. But oh, He takes pleasure in taking the broken and taking the useless refuse of the world and using it for His glory. And if I can do anything to bring glory and honor to the shepherd who came looking for me, oh, what a pleasure. That's satisfaction, friend. And you say, well, it doesn't make sense. That's because 
Only the child of God knows what I'm talking about. When you know Him and He knows you, that's satisfaction. And I, I, I wouldn't go back. I wouldn't go back and, and, and live. You couldn't pay me to go back and live and do some of the things that we used to do. You know why? Because it's all empty. It's all broken. It's all broken promises. But you know what? Jesus has always guided me to the best and to the blessings. And that's joy, that's satisfaction. But then also look at this, his sacrifice. Verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd and the, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Notice what verse 17 says. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it back up again. This charge he says I receive from my Father. Praise God. That as you read this passage friend. Jesus' death was not the result of some kind of panicking God in the heavens. The cross is not some tragic surprise. It's the great accomplishment of God's salvation plan. Calvary was not a knee-jerk response to a world that was plummeting toward destruction. The cross and the empty tomb was not like God's plan B. But as you notice this, Jesus said, uh, They didn't take my life from me. I gave it willingly, voluntarily, from eternity past the cross was drawn into the original blueprint. And the moment that the forbidden fruit touched the lips of Eve, oh, the shadow of the cross appeared on the horizon. Jesus knew every drop of suffering that was going to come His way. And yet He said, I laid my life down willingly. I didn't have to beg, steal, or borrow. I did it of my own accord. That's love, friend. That's true love. When you know all the pain and all the worst of everything that's about to come upon you, and you still choose to do it anyway, just out of love. His sacrifice was voluntary. I'll go. I'm, I'm willing. His sacrifice was vicarious. He took your place and my place and it was victorious because look, he said, I take my life up again. Friend, think about that. Think about how a reversal this is because in the Bible times, the shepherd raised the sheep to go to the temple to be offered as a sacrifice. But Jesus says, no, this is reversed. I'm the shepherd who dies in the place of my people, my sheep. You see the reversal there? Friend, Jesus is the only one that's qualified to lead your life. You're not qualified to lead your life. You don't know enough. You're not strong enough. But Jesus is qualified He's the only one who is to lead your life. He's the only one worthy to lead your life. Why? Because He faced down the greatest enemy that you and I could ever face, and that is death. 
and he was taken by it, but he was not defeated by it. And he rose again. He took his life back up by his own authority, by his own power. And so if he's faced the worst thing that could ever come to you and me, and he's defeated it, and he's conquered it, and he rules over it, and he's the good shepherd who leads you through uh, many, many battles and trials and over many mountains and through valleys and friends, when you come to the valley of the shadow of death, He's the one that will lead you through unto the other side. You see, friend, He's faced the worst. And we saw God at His best. And that means He's worthy of my life in following Him. His sacrifice... His satisfaction, and then lastly, His security. Notice this, verse 28 and 29, and I'm done. And I give them eternal life, and they never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So much for being able to lose your salvation. If you're truly saved, if you're truly born again, look at this verse. I give them eternal life. They never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. We have security in Christ. If you're truly saved, listen, your salvation isn't based on your ability to hold on to Him, but it's based on the security of resting in the grip of His grace. If you're saved by grace, that means you did nothing to contribute, to earn or to merit your salvation. And so if you're saved by grace, what makes you think we can keep it by works? I love the old song the Florida boys used to sing. Now I know that He's mine, and I'm His forever. He's leading me along life's way, and He'll be holding to my hand when I'm crossing death's river. Bless His name. Security. You see, God doesn't want you living in worry and fear and legalism, thinking, well, did I do enough? Am I holy enough? Have I crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's? Am I good enough to keep my salvation? No, there's security. Let me ask you a question. If you've been born again, how can you undo a work of God? Can you be unborn? Think about it. We have security in Christ. This isn't a license to go out and sin and, and live. In fact, if that's the way you think about it, then you don't understand grace and you don't understand the cross. But there is security in the shepherd's fold. Amen? In 2004, there was a sheep that gained worldwide fame. His name was Shrek. Here's the story. According to his New Zealand owner, John Perriam, Shrek escaped his enclosure and evaded him for six years hiding in caves. If you had a runaway pet for six years, how many of you would have given up? Here's what the story says. Merino sheep, the kind that Shrek was, are usually shorn annually. So when Shrek was finally caught holed up in a cave, the sheep was unrecognizable due to his massively large coat of wool. <laughs> Listen to this. Shrek had to be carried down the mountain because his fleece was so heavy that he could not walk down on his own. 
to relieve Shrek of the weight of his waywardness, he was actually flipped upside down so that he would remain still and not be harmed while they brought out the shears to remove his heavy fleece. When Shrek was shaved, his fleece weighed an amazing 60 pounds. They say that was enough wool to make coats for 20 men. Perhaps maybe you are like Shrek today. You are far from God. Some have walked away from the church and from Christ by following after the temptations of the world. Some are hiding in sin and shame and they don't want to be found. Either way, the result is the same. Even if they wanted to, they can't get down the mountain. But praise God, I have a seeking shepherd. And according to Luke 15, Jesus is the one who will leave the 99 and go after that one. And friend, he's been going after some of you and you have yet to repent and truly trust in him. But here's the good news. In the miracle of a moment, when you can get to Him, Christ came to you. He can find you. He can clean you up. He can bring you into His fold. And by the way, it's the bleeding of the sheep that draws in the heart of the shepherd. And the Bible says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All you got to do is call out to Him. Jesus I'm a sinner, and you're a Savior. And I'm done wandering out here on my own accord in the world. I want to be yours. Preston's coming up right now. Our musicians are making their way to the stage. Maybe there was some truth presented this morning in a way that you hadn't thought about before. Or, or maybe it just hit you in a way that was so impactful that you have to respond. Maybe you need Christ. You need to repent. You need to surrender your life to Him. You can come down today and I'd love to lead you to the Lord. Maybe you're in one of those valleys. You don't understand where God has led you, but you just need prayer in a greater measure of faith to trust that the shepherd knows the way out. Maybe you need to recommit your life. Maybe you need to be baptized. I don't know whatever God is speaking to you in this moment. Preston's going to be leading us in song. and This is your opportunity to respond right now before you can talk yourself out of it, before the devil can throw cold water on you, before you walk out this door in resistance. You can respond right now to what God is asking you to do.